Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 100. And so the 100th Psalm we'll be looking this morning primarily at verse number 3, but we will uh, take a look at all five verses here. Psalm 100 um, as we begin this morning. <coughs> and so as we look here, the Bible says in verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Verse number three again, just that first part there. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. I want to speak this morning on the thought increasing my awareness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for again our time together this morning. Thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, what a wonderful thought it is to just reflect on uh, the mercy that you bestow upon us, or there's so uh, much that you do and that you grant us that uh, we're so undeserving of. And Lord, may we never have the mindset that we feel entitled. May we always understand that it's because of your mercy, because of your compassion, because of your grace that we live in your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to open our hearts to your word. I pray that we would be hungry and searching for truth. Or that we'd be open and willing to be reminded of some things that would draw us close to you and help you to be more real in our daily lives. Where to impact our lives now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look here this morning, the psalmist begins and he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Uh, you know, that, that is something that quite honestly, uh, when you look at making a joyful noise and serving the Lord with gladness is something that should be automatic and natural to a Christian. If, if, if my life is a life that has no joy, if my service to God is something that's done as a drudgery, then there's something in my life that's not right. There's something missing. There's something that's wrong. Why? I think that you'll see that manifest itself as we work our way through the message this morning. But the command here is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Most of the things that God command us to do are things that we should do naturally if we're just simply walking with him. Um, you know, there are a lot of commands in the Bible. Uh, but to just walk in the presence of God and to please him really brings us to a place where we naturally find ourselves fulfilling those commands that God has given us. I uh, look at this this morning and he says, make that joyful noise. And uh, it, there, there are times when I'm sitting in my office and I have doors open. Brother Trevon has his door open and I, I can hear him. I don't know if he realized this before I said it in the first message this morning. Uh, but I can hear him singing at his desk. Uh, or humming at his desk as he's just fulfilling the task that he has uh, for the day. It's not coerced. It's not uh, something demanded. It's just the natural outflow of what's within. 
it's a, it's a joyful noise. Now, granted, it's a lot more joyful to him and the Lord than it is to me most times. Uh, but it's, it's a joyful uh, noise. There are times when, uh, when you will be around the church during the week if Brother Phil is here and he uh, gets oblivious to anybody else around him which really isn't all that unusual, uh, then you'll catch him doing one of two things. Either he's whistling and humming as he's going about his task, just happy in the Lord, or he's having a full-blown conversation with himself about something. Uh, and so you just, uh, you know, it, it depends on the moment. And, and, but, the, but it's just that singing, that, that joyful spirit, uh, that coming from within, it's something that naturally just bubbles up and over. It can't be contained. That is, or should be the normal Christian life. If I have to coerce myself to be happy in Jesus, then there's something missing. There, there's something that in my walk with God that is not what it should be. And so <clears throat> he lays out here and says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. We should come boldly before the throne of grace, but we should come boldly singing as we come. We should come uh, with a joy and happiness. And, and then he tells us how that's possible. How is it that I can come with joy? How is it that I can come with singing? How is it that I can come with gladness? In verse three, when he says, know ye the Lord that he is God. What he's saying here is be aware that he is God. Be mindful that we are not just drifting aimlessly through life, at least not because we have to. You may be and we may at times be drifting aimlessly through life, but it's not because that's the way God wants it to be or the way that God uh, designed it to be. Know ye the Lord that he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We uh, are created personally by God. And that's an amazing thing. And we'll come back to that here in just a little bit. Then he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The natural response of my awareness of God's power and God's love and God's grace and God's intervening in my life and God's empowerment is thanksgiving. If I have a complaining, murmuring spirit, I don't have the right view of God. If I have a uh, depressed spirit, I don't have the right outlook and view of God. If I have a bitter and angry spirit, it's because I don't have the right awareness of God in my life. I think all of us are susceptible to those things at times in our life. I think that all of us go through seasons where those types of feelings in our heart and our life emerge and become prominent, hopefully we're aware of them and God helps us get over them quickly, but it's just part of our nature. They cyclically kick themselves up. And, but the fact that my awareness of God, of knowing that he's there, of knowing that he loves me and that he's working in my life, that knowledge should spark in me not an attitude of grumbling and an attitude of bitterness and an attitude of rebellion, but an attitude of gratitude. My natural response to what God brings into my life should be a response of thanksgiving. Well, pastor, you don't know what God's brought into my life. Well, perhaps we're reaping what we've sown. We just want to blame it on God. But God is still working in our lives nonetheless. 
Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Enter into his gates, in verse 4, with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. It's hard to not praise God when we're aware of who and what God is in our lives. When I'm looking at him daily and seeing him work in my heart and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and thank God that his, his mercies are new uh, every morning. And his truth endureth to all generations. He, he's not changing. You know, I'm, <coughs> somebody will, uh, kids will come in and want to see a picture or uh, look at something from years ago. And, uh, and I'm thinking, man, I've changed and not in good ways. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as uh, pleasant of a picture as it once was. And so, uh, and it's not getting any better as the years march by. Uh, it's, it, things are deteriorating rapidly. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that I'm changing, but he's not. You're changing, but he's not. The world is changing, but he's not. And the word of God is steadfast for all of eternity. His truth endureth to all generations. What's missing then and what's different then is not God, but our awareness of him. And what I do want to do this morning in the message is just remind us to be aware of God and who God is and what God is and what God has done and where we fit into the picture in the grand scheme of things. I remember when my children were small that, <clears throat> and not, I, I did this somewhat with our sons, but our sons would tend to, on a rainy day, be more inclined to close their door uh, if they were playing in the room uh, and, or they would be outside, they would be farther from the house and I could just kind of peek out and see what they were doing. The girls, uh, rarely would ever close the door. They would, uh, they would leave it six, eight, ten inches open and, uh, or, or they would be playing on the porch or in the front yard or uh, where you could easily look out and see where they were and what they were up to. And You know, there are a lot of times that uh, I took a lot of pleasure in just standing watching them with them having no concept, no clue that I was there. They, they have no idea. Sometimes for five or ten minutes they uh, would go on and, uh, you know, as we get older that's unusual. You can feel somebody looking at you, right? You can just, if you're sitting someplace and uh, there's a presence of someone hovering over you or staring across the room at you, you kind of sense that uh, and, you, and you scope it out real quick. But when the girls were little, uh, I mean, we, I could stand there for a, a, what seemed like forever and watch them and they were completely oblivious to the fact that they were being watched. But when they figured it out, there was a definite reaction. When we become aware that we're being observed, there is an obvious and deliberate response. On Friday, it was raining outside. I'm going to be in trouble for this whenever I get home, but uh, actually I'm in trouble for it now. She just can't do anything about it because she's stuck over there on the second row. Uh, but on, on Friday, I, <clears throat> I came in and it, it was raining out and so it was darker. The hallways were darker and back in the office area, if you've not been back there, the tile is a very dark brown tile and uh, none of the lights in the, in the office area were on yet and uh, it was probably about 8.30 and I came rolling in and, uh, and the school kids were already fired up and it was all going on already and, uh, and so I'm coming in and when I come in in the morning my hands, I'm, I'm fumbling with a cup of coffee uh, I, with my Bible and, and uh, other things that I need for the day and, and keys and so I'm trying to kind of jumble all this stuff and get to the door and get it unlocked and get in and sometimes I'll have to make a second trip back out there and so I come in and my shoes are wet and uh, tile floor, 
I'm older, so I don't bounce as well as I used to, so I tend to be pretty cautious whenever I get off the rug and onto the tile. And so I, I get the door in and get it locked behind me and, and I get to the tile and I'm just kind of almost waddling down the hallway, right? Just trying to get safely to a light switch that I can flip up with my elbow. I really didn't want to turn the one on in the reception office. Uh, I just wanted to make it to my office. And so I'm about halfway between that door and those two doors are only a couple of steps apart, but I'm about halfway there and it's really dark. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm there and I'm trying to make sure somebody didn't stick a chair out there that I'm going to trip over and spill my coffee and, uh, and just get in my door and kick that switch up. Well, about the time that I'm getting close to the door, I hear feet coming down the hallway. Uh, and about the time that I get there, uh, my wife's hand comes up on that's a glass door. So you can look down the hallway. Uh, and so she hears the squeaking of my feet on the wet, uh, of my wet shoes on the floor. And she hears me say, it's just me because I already know she's not going to, she's going to be startled uh, when she looks up and she looks, she hears the shoes. She hears a voice. She looks down a dark hallway and sees a big shadow thinking that it's just her and Miss Ruby and the school kids here. And she immediately, I've never seen her move so fast. I mean, she took off like a shot. It was like I was watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon and, uh, and the wheels are turning, but there's no traction and she's not going anywhere. And then finally the traction engaged and man, she was gone down the hallway. And so I'm, I, I, my hands are still full. I've got to get the light on. I get the light on. I put my things down. I walk to the door. I still don't turn on the hallway light. My office light's on now. Uh, and she is flying down the hallway back toward the fellowship hall. Miss Ruby looks down and sees the panic on her face. And so she jumps up and she's running out the back of the fellowship hall. And, and she sees terror on her face, terror on Miss Ruby's face. Is there somebody down there? And she's like, yes. There's somebody down there. And then about that time, I open the door, which opens in and step out. And Miss Ruby's like, <sighs> and then saw that it was me. And it went, <sighs> relief. Uh, and so she's thinking, I'm going to actually have to shoot somebody. So I opened the door and step out and I said, I can shoot back. Uh, and so uh, about that time, they, they see the shadow come out of the doors. My, she's even with my wife. My wife pushes her so that she can ricochet off and get safely to the lobby uh, and out the front door uh, when they finally realize it's me. And then they just kind of laughed at each other for the next 30 minutes. They were not aware that someone was in the building. You know, Oftentimes we go through the Christian life unaware of God's presence in our life. We go through our day intellectually knowing that God is a part of everything that we do, but completely oblivious to the fact that he's standing right there beside us. That he's watching, that he's working, that he's planning. We look at going through life we have to understand that God's never not a part of everything that we're engaged in and that we're doing. We've all been a part of conversations when we are deep in conversation and then suddenly realize uh, that somebody at the next table at a restaurant or someone's lurking outside the office door kind of eavesdropping in on what's going on, hanging on every word. But God doesn't have to eavesdrop. He is, should be a welcome resident in our heart. When we look at the reality of life is that I respond to and I govern myself according to my level of awareness of what's going on around me. 
if, if you're in a, in a, you know, police officers in a tactical environment, the military in a tactical environment, they, they, what's called the situational awareness. You want to know what and be aware of the situation that you're in so that you can govern yourself and that you can respond and react appropriately and accordingly uh, to what's necessary. And the reality is, is that we all do that in our lives. It's just that most people live their lives with a certain level of oblivion to what's going on around them. I don't want to be oblivious in my Christian life to God's presence in my life. I want to know and re react and respond. Listen, corporations and governments spend millions of dollars a year on awareness campaigns. They want to run commercials and on radio and TV and other mediums so that you are and I am aware of this program or that program or this product or that product or, uh, you know, it's... It's now you're getting uh, all of these horrible noises coming out of your phone a couple of times a week uh, like it's an amber alert or some great criminals on the loose that's in imminent danger to you and it's just simply telling you that you can go get a COVID shot. Uh, it's, it's an awareness campaign. We need to be aware of God. I don't mean beware of God. Be aware of that he's with us. Be aware that he's working in our life. Be aware. And I wonder this morning how differently we might live if we were more aware of God in our lives. As a Christian, I should be constantly aware that God is working and, and actively participating in my life. How differently would my life look this morning if I was more aware of his character? If I looked at his, his holiness and his purity, his righteousness, his justice, if I was more aware of his compassion, how he looks and how he has mercy, how he's long-suffering toward me, if I was aware of his commitment, he will never leave me nor forsake me. He's always a part of our lives. If I was more aware of his commands, how much more obedient would I be? And as a consequence, how much more blessed by God would I be in my life? The psalmist says here, know ye that the Lord, he is God. Or you could say it this way, be more aware that he's God. He's ever present in your life. I want to just draw out three thoughts from this this morning. Number one, I would say that I need to be aware that I am his creation. We need to be aware that God created us. Why? Well, there are three things that, before we answer those questions there in your notes, there's three lead-in thoughts to answer the two things that are there in your notes. <coughs> and so, the reality is, is that I have to understand why I was created. And that's the question that comes to light. We are God's creation, so if I am God's creation, and we are, why were we created? To what, to, why is it that God... Uh, brought us into being. It is, it is something that the secular world works hard against. It is something that is pounded into us that we are evolving, not that we are created. Now the real reason is nothing to do with science and has everything to do with religion. Because the fact of the matter is this morning is that you either believe that you're evolving by faith or you believe that you were created by God by faith. There's not any middle ground. There's nowhere else to stand. 
It's not a matter of science, it's a matter of religion. It's faith. You can't see a Big Bang. You can't go back and relive uh, what they say might have been at some point, however many eons ago. Uh, science can replicate. Science can observe. Science, true science, can, uh, can witness and can, uh, can uh, relive things. Uh, but the reality is, is that I either have to accept by faith that a Big Bang brought me into existence, or I have to accept by faith that God, an all-powerful God, created me. Now, as Christians, I would hope that it's a foregone, conclu foregone conclusion that everyone in the room this morning would say, yes, I understand God created me. Now, understanding that God created me, and the reason that the world rejects that is because if God created me, if God is my creator, and he is, then God has every right to dictate my morality. Then God has every right to lay expectations upon my life. If there is no God, I'm free to do what I want. If there is no God, I'm free to define my own morality. If there is no God, I'm free uh, to define uh, for myself what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's untrue, what's just and what's unjust. But if there be a God, then he alone is the establisher of all of those things. The world rejects the idea and loathes and hates the idea that someone could stand in a pulpit and declare, the Lord God hath said, this is moral and this is immoral. This is right. This is not right. This is just. This is unjust. No one wants God, a God, to tell them that. We want to discern that as a race for ourselves. That's just the reality of the world in which we live. That's not anything new. It's the way that it's always been. Without God, we want to, to just be free, uh, to go out and to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, for as long as we want, regardless of what uh, the, the harm or the impact is on others around us. But if God be God, then God has every right to tell me what's right and what's wrong. Amen. To tell me what he expects and what he doesn't expect. And so the question then becomes, if I accept that God created me, is why was I created? The next question that follows that up is, when I ask, why was I created, for what purpose was I created? Well, say, Pastor, it's kind of the same thing, right? No, well, not really. Uh, there, there's a reason why, and then there is an end. What is the purpose? Okay, God created me for this reason, but to what end? To what purpose. And that's the last part, to what end? In other words, and that's answered biblically in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Uh, he gives a part of that, uh, that explanation when he says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now listen, God is not continuing creative work in the sense of uh, he, he's, not, he, he's not creating uh, new beings. The creative work of God was finished in Genesis. But on a practical level here in Revelation, he says they were and are. The one thing that's still being created is human beings. 
And I would say this, we'll say, Pastor, well, God created mankind like he created all the animal life and everything just reproduces after its kind and God doesn't really have any part of that process. May I remind you that I believe to Jeremiah, he said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That I created you in your mother's womb. That are and were created. What's still being created? Human souls. And God is not allowing them to be created just at random, but he is hands-on with every soul. He created us uniquely and individually to satisfy his purpose for our life. He has a specific preordained will for your life. He wants to work in your life. He wants, that's how valuable you are to God. That's how important you are to the coming kingdom of Christ. That's how important we are in light of eternity. We were created for God's pleasure. And we were created to bring him glory in Isaiah chapter 43. In verse 4 it says, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, I am with thee. Now the context here is he's prophesying to Israel that after their captivity, he'll bring them back to Israel and reestablish them. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up and uh, to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Every one formed and made by God to bring him glory. That's why we're here. Why am I created? And when I become aware of the fact that I was created for God's pleasure and to bring glory to God, then all of a sudden my life has a reason and a purpose for existence. I no longer am randomly going through life. I no longer am aimlessly wandering about. I know that my creator brought me into existence, that he formed me, that he made me, and he did so for his pleasure and for his glory. <coughs> Pastor, what, what a terrible God that he would create me to just for him. Remember when your children were small? Remember how you doted over them and how you loved them? Remember how you cradled them and you cared for them? Remember how they looked up to you and idolized you and hung on everything that was going on? Was their life in any way deficient? Was their life lacking? Was their joy not real? Was their security not a picture of what our security should be in God? When things were right in the home and things are right with the Father, there is provision and there is peace, there is protection, there is security, there is joy that, that really passes our ability to understand. We have lost sight of that today because so few homes are what they should be. But the reality is, is that the Christian who is under the loving watch care of a heavenly father 
Uh, listen, my, th there is no greater pleasure giving thing in this world than for your small two, three, five, six, eight year old child to just come without any agenda uh, to wrap themselves around you and to be completely enamored with you and to love you without question and without reason. It's all they know. And they're completely content and happy and overwhelmed with joy. And that's the life that we should have in Christ. Amen. We are created for his pleasure. Nothing brings a father glory more than his children walking with God. I could say this morning that God gave us four children. That God gave us children that brought us great pleasure and God gave us children that have the capacity to either bring us glory or shame. As a child of God, I have the capacity to bring him pleasure or grief, glory or shame. What makes the difference? My awareness of him. My awareness of whether or not I'm his creation. My awareness of my acceptance of the fact that I was created to please him and to glorify him. The second thing that I would say here is that I need to be aware that I'm his child. We need to be aware that we're his children. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In Romans chapter 8 in verses 16 and 17. The Bible tells us the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Two thoughts about this this morning. Number one, am I close to my father? You see, I am when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, a child of God. You are, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a child of God. Up until that point, I was merely a creation of God. But at the moment that I was born again, that Jesus Christ became my Lord and Savior, I became his child. And in the moment that I became his child, I was birthed to a father that longed to be close to me. Not every human father wants to be close to their ch children. Not every human father has been. But God is a father that wants to be close to his children. Amen. He doesn't want to leave us abandoned. He doesn't want us leave a, to leave us wander, wandering around on our own trying to figure life out. And sometimes uh, a, a a man's not close to his father or a daughter's not close to her father because the father refuses to be close to them. But sometimes we're not close to the father because we choose to not be close to the father. The one part in the human, exper in the human experience, it could be uh, a lack of desire to be close on the father's part or on the child's part. But in the spiritual realm, there is no question that God wants to be close to his children. So then the reality is, is that if I'm not close to God this morning, if I'm not close in my personal life to my father in heaven, it's not because the father has lacked in any means or any way 
in providing, caring, protecting, or desiring to be close to me. I can reject him. He doesn't reject me. I'm his child. Are you close to your father this morning? See, when I'm aware that he's my father, it is, by, it is natural. Until a father does something to cause their child to not want to be close to them, a child naturally wants to be close to their father. I, I, it, there's just something about that familial bond that God has placed in us. Uh, our daughter-in-law came over the other day with her three, their three children. My son was out of town for a couple of days, and so they stayed with us. And, uh, and my, my grandson lunges to his pops. I, I don't even always have to put my hands out. When my boys were small, I, I, didn't, have to, uh, I didn't have to fight with them to let, them, let me pick them up and hold them. <clears throat> when I was a boy up in, in uh, Joshua and Irving in the Dallas area, we would, most, of the, most weekends we would travel from Joshua to Irving uh, to visit with my grandparents and and we would generally get there before my grandfather got home from work and my grandfather had a heart attack in his 40s and after that he walked every day when he got home he had so many miles that he walked every day and uh, and when we would get there before he got home from work no one had to tell us what time it was when he was coming home and when it was about time, uh, we got by the window or we got by the door and we looked with great anticipation for his arrival. Why? Because we longed to be close to that figure in our life. And we go for on his walks with him sometimes. And uh, back in those days, they didn't make soda cans out of aluminum. They made them out of tin and they were a little more rigid than they are today. And we'd uh, get to the edge of a parking lot and find cans and we'd just kick those cans across the parking lot. And to a five or six year old boy, that was big stuff. To just go on a walk with his grandpa and uh, kick cans across parking lots, that was, that was a big thing. I wanted to be near him. My friends, this morning, I wonder how many of us are seated here that are, feel very far away and distant from our God. But the reality is, is that if we're distant from our Heavenly Father this morning, it's not because he lacks the desire to be close to us. It's because we've shown no interest in being close to him. We're not aware of his presence. We're not aware. We've lost a measure of awareness of God in our lives. Are we close to our Father? The second thing that I would say about this, then the next question is this, am I honoring my Father? Does my life bring honor to my Father's name? Am I honoring the family name? You see, every one of us have a family name. Every one of us that know Christ have another family name and that is Christian. All of us have the power to either bring honor to our family name or to bring dishonor to our family name. And certainly every one of us has the power and the ability to bring honor through the, through the empowerment of God to the Lord's name, to our name as Christian, 
or to live in our flesh and bring dishonor to the name of Christ. Which is it this morning? When I look in my heart, when I look in my life, when I look at my walk with God, am I honoring my father or dishonoring my father? Am I aware this morning that I am his child? Am I aware that he created me for his pleasure and his glory? And then thirdly and lastly this morning, am I aware that I'm under his care? Notice again, Verse number three, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are under the care of the good shepherd. We are under the care of the one that, uh, that is involved in every detail of our lives and, uh, and wants to be the guiding force in every detail of our lives. In Hebrews chapter th 13, in verses 20 and 21, he says, Make ye perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And when we look at that and when we understand what is it that God would have me to do, he, he wants me, uh, and back up to verse 20 there, uh, he says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. We are under the care and the leadership and the guidance of the shepherd. He is our shepherd. In Psalm 23, and we know it well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not dwelling temporarily. He's my God. He doesn't give salvation and take it away on a whim. He says, I've given you life. You are my child. I love you forever. He is our great shepherd. When I realize this morning that I'm aware that I'm under his care, I have to become aware that he's my shepherd, which means he is my provider and he is my protector. God provides for his children. The shepherd provides for his sheep. And the reality is, is that he is our shepherd. And we acknowledge that he's our shepherd, but we're not all willing to surrender ourselves to being his sheep. So, well, Pastor, <clears throat> if I'm his child, I'm his sheep. I understand that. But not every person is willing to yield themselves to their rightful position in God. And that's my point this morning is that we are his sheep. And my response to the shepherd reveals my walk with the shepherd. In John chapter 10 and verse number 27, the Bible tells us there, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, the, the passage of the good shepherd is here. We're in God's hand. 
We can't be plucked out. God cares for us. God loves us. He's laid down his life for the sheep. He's laid out in the verses before everything that he's done for the sheep as that shepherd. But am I going to respond to that shepherd? Am I going to respond to him as he speaks to me in Revelation 3? In verse 20 he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and him with me. If any man hear my voice, the sheep know and hear my voice. When I was uh, at the church in Cleveland, Tennessee, working on staff, there was a man from Oklahoma who worked for Conical Oil for years, but he also raised sheep on the side. And his sheep were not just uh, a habit or, or a hobby. Uh, these sheep in, uh, you know, the 30 years ago were worth eleven to $1,500 an animal because they were uh, registered a special breed, a specific breed of sheep. And, uh, and he was very active in the church there and, uh, and loves the Lord still and serves God faithfully. And, uh, and he had a, a, a big flock. And uh, when pastors or evangelists, when missionaries would come in and speak, they oftentimes would uh, ask him questions about the sheep. And he would just say, well, let me just let you come out to the house and, uh, and interact with the sheep so that you get a, I can tell you, but if you just come and see them, you'll understand much better. And so he told me one time, we were having a conversation about the sheep and he said, I'd bring somebody out and I would, I would have them go into the sheep, whether they, were, uh, whether they were in the barn or whether they were out in the field, it really didn't matter. He said, I'd, I'd have that, that strange voice go out and ring a bell and shout and blow a horn and do all kinds of things to get the attention of the sheep and the sheep would just keep their head down doing what they were doing. They never even popped up and looked and reacted, responded. They just kept grazing or they just kept lazing. That's what they did. They were grazing or lazing. They were just uh, out there. Uh, and he said, and then I'd step out and I'd just speak a word. And every head popped up. Every head in a moment from a softly spoken word responded because they knew my voice. Because they knew I was their shepherd. Because they knew that I was their source of provision. They knew I was their source of guidance. They knew I was their source of protection. As long as the shepherd was present, there was no need to fear the wolves. As long as the, sheep was pre the, the shepherd was present, there was no reason to do anything other than to just be at ease. I'm saying this morning, that I need to be aware that not only is he my shepherd, but that I'm his sheep. That I'm yielded to him. That I'm responding to his voice. That I'm willing to accept or to receive his care. See, God wants to lead you, but we don't always follow. The shepherd is always in the right place. The shepherd is always taking us to the right destination. The shepherd is always watching out, but we oftentimes are wanting to go astray. We want to do things our way. We lose awareness of the love of the shepherd. We, we resent 
that he wants to protect us. We feel as if we're being, uh, we're being stifled or limited in some way. We feel as if our freedom's being restricted. We feel as if God is being overbearing. But the reality is, is that he's just a loving shepherd who cares for his sheep. And in the midst and under the umbrella of his protection, the natural response of our lives should be making a joyful noise unto the Lord, should be serving the Lord with gladness, should be coming into his presence with singing, should be entering into his gates with thanksgiving, should be a life that is overwhelmed and filled, not with fret and distress and worry and anger and bitterness uh, and feelings of being wronged, but a life that should be overwhelmed with the presence of of an almighty God that loves me and cares for me and protects me and guides me and provides for my every need. Amen. Are we aware of him this morning? Have we lost situational awareness in our lives that we have an ever-present God who is mindful of everything that we go through? Question this morning as we close. Does my life reflect my awareness of God? Indeed it does. It absolutely does. How I live, how I represent him, how I interact with him is a manifestation of my awareness of him and who he truly is. If my awareness is, is corrupt, if my vision of God is distorted, if my view of him is impure, then I am not aware of the reality of who and what God is. But when my awareness is genuine and true, when I see him for who he is and what he is in my life, then my life is overwhelmed with his goodness. If I'm not walking with God this morning, if I don't have joy, if I don't have peace, if I can't get over bitterness and anger, if I can't get past the past, if I can't find any reason to smile and to let a song creep out of my mouth and my voice sometimes when I'm walking down a hallway, it reflects that I'm not aware of God as I should be. Because when I become aware of him, in his awesomeness and in his majesty and in his mercy and in his love and in his grace and in his power, then I cannot help in my awareness but to step back and stand in awe and to bow down and to worship the one that created me and to have nothing in my heart but a desire to please him and to bring him glory. If I have no desire in my life to please God, if I have no desire in my life to bring him honor and glory, I, there's something wrong with my awareness level of him. Because it's not something that should be a heavy burden. It's something that should be the joy of our life. To live and to know that we are honoring, pleasing, and loving the one who is our Heavenly Father should satisfy the very core of our being, should leave us fulfilled and overflowing with joy and gratitude 
for a father's great sacrifice and love for his children.